Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 115, Betting on Hardware. I am Neil. Apple isn't a hardware company. However, hardware's importance to the Apple story continues to grow. Apple is now placing the biggest bet on hardware that it's ever made. And that bet is growing over time. Apple is now overseeing a supply chain and manufacturing apparatus that produced more than 300 million gadgets last year. This seems backwards, though. In Silicon Valley, one of the major themes of 2017 has been artificial intelligence, digital voice assistance, moving beyond devices, moving to a world where hardware loses some of its value. What is Apple doing? Why does Apple think so differently about hardware than other companies? I think Apple is doubling down on hardware in order to become the most powerful software provider in the wearables era. The best place to begin this episode is to go over Apple's hardware strategy. The vast majority of Apple's products aren't actually assembled by Apple. Instead, Apple relies on contract manufacturers in Asia. This wasn't always the case. If we go back to the 1990s, Apple owned its own factories. And these factories were located around the world. However, there was an issue, a rather big issue at the time. Apple was imploding financially. The company was suffering from a bloated product line. This manufacturing apparatus that it owned, it was extremely costly, extremely inefficient. Apple's supply chain just wasn't effective. So in March 1998, Steve Jobs hired Tim Cook, Senior Vice President of Operations. His task? To save Apple. Literally. One of Cook's initial tasks was to draw down excess Mac inventory to try to give Apple some shot of surviving here. But Cook also did something else. He began to lay the groundwork for Apple's outsourcing strategy. Cook began to rethink the Apple supply chain. Now, what does that mean, rethinking the supply chain? Well, Cook reportedly went so far as to get suppliers to move closer to Apple's new assemblers. I would say that's playing a pretty big role in establishing your own supply chain. And one thing Apple discovered relatively soon in this process was that manufacturers and assemblers in China were capable of meeting Apple's high standards, unlike manufacturers and suppliers in the U.S., now, some of this has changed, of course, since the late 1990s. However, when we look at how the tech industry now approaches hardware and product assembly, well, it sure does seem like Apple was placing quite a few big bets in the late 1990s, and they paid off very well. This is right around the time when Apple began its partnership with Foxconn. 
that is Apple's largest product assembler. I think the relationship between Apple and Foxconn is very significant. Foxconn probably can be considered Apple's most important and strategic business partner. This relationship doesn't just exist in terms of hardware or iPhones or iPad. I also think Foxconn is very influential when it comes to Apple and China. Any policy, any regulation that threatens demand for iPhones, well, Foxconn cares about that. And there are examples in recent years of Foxconn entering sort of the political sphere to protect its business interest and accordingly Apple's interest. And then when we think about the future, transportation, it's hard to see how Foxconn won't play some role in that new era. So Foxconn is a company to definitely keep an eye on. One other thing that Tim Cook instituted was a just-in-time inventory production system. There isn't much reported about this topic, but when you consider how Apple is selling hundreds of millions of devices, iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches, the ability Apple has to gauge how customer demand is trending, and we are talking not just by the quarter and not just by the month or week, but by the day, by the hour, and their ability to take that information and then adjust the supply chain accordingly, it is a critical part of Apple's hardware strategy. It's the item that allows Apple to quickly ramp up iPhone Plus production because demand is exceeding expectations. Meanwhile, you're not left with all this access supply of 4.7-inch iPhones. Another key characteristic of Apple's hardware strategy in the company's supply chain and manufacturing apparatus is how closely Apple works with all of its suppliers and assemblers. I think there is this misperception that Apple designs products in California and then just sends final instructions over to China. Well, here's how you make it. Let us know how it goes. No, <laughs> that is not reality. Instead, it is not uncommon for Apple designers to spend weeks or months at factories in China. The goal is to take a product and figure out, well, how do we make 100 million of these per year? How do we come up with a manufacturing strategy for this particular part using this new material that we've never used before without jeopardizing quality? The amount of collaboration that occurs between Apple and all of its suppliers and manufacturers, I think it would surprise most outsiders. Even though Apple doesn't own factories, the company does own a significant amount of equipment and machinery housed in third-party factories. Taking a closer look at Apple's balance sheet, at the end of September, Apple held $54 billion of machinery, equipment, and internal use software. So a significant portion of that total, well, it's machinery. It's machinery that's used in the production of Apple's products. 
all of Apple's actions here in terms of outsourcing, depending on third-party contract manufacturers, working closely with its suppliers, its assemblers, it's all guided by one thing, efficiency. That's one of the reasons Tim Cook was hired by Steve Jobs. It's one thing to have great ideas about products, but it's another thing to take those ideas and actually make the products. Manufacture the products so people can buy them and use them and enjoy them. That process between designing something and selling something, it needs an incredible amount of efficiency, both in terms of the financial implications and as well as flexibility or the need to adapt and adjust to market trends. Taking a look at how Apple's now viewing hardware, I see some changes, some big changes. Apple's bet on hardware is growing. The phrase controlling hardware, it's changing. In the past, controlling hardware still meant that Apple was dependent on others to provide all of the core technology and components. Apple is betting on something new developing here. Apple now sees value in controlling its own destiny by owning all of the core technology powering its devices. It's doubling down on hardware. In 2010, Apple unveiled the iPad. The device was powered by an A4 processor. This was Apple's first design chip. It was made possible by the company's PA semi-acquisition two years earlier. Jump ahead seven years. Take a look at Apple's range of processors now. We have the A series for iPhone and iPad, the S series for Apple Watch, the W series for AirPods, a few Beats headphones and Apple Watch, and the T series for Mac. These processors are starting to play a very critical role in the experiences that we receive from these products. This past September at Steve Jobs Theater, Apple introduced the A11 Bionic chip. It's found in the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10. The chip includes the first Apple design GPU solution. There is now an increasing amount of evidence that Apple's moving into modem design. Take a look at Apple's war with Qualcomm. It's not just about money. It's about something much more important. We have evidence of Apple moving into its own power management chips. It's going to be incredibly important in the wearable era. Apple's end goal here is to create a system on a chip that includes Apple processors, Apple GPUs, and Apple LTE modem chips. Whenever I say that, the first thing that comes to mind is wearables. It's very clear. Apple is ramping its bets on hardware because it is moving very fast into wearables. If we had to sum up Apple's current hardware strategy, it's all about controlling the experience found with its products. So in the past, differentiation came from simply doing hardware and software. Not anymore. 
it's becoming a very different world out there. Differentiation is now found when there is tighter control over the core components powering your products. Now, turning to the scale that Apple is operating at in terms of hardware, it's easy to think of Apple as just the iPhone maker. Every year, Apple is shipping more than 210 million iPhones. No other Apple product comes close to surpassing that number. However, iPhone is only one piece of Apple's hardware story. Now, over at AboveAvalon.com, I published this week's article, Apple's Growing Bet on Hardware. And much of the data collection was focused on how many products Apple is actually selling. At first, that seems pretty straightforward. Every quarter, Apple provides those numbers. Well, almost. Apple provides numbers like iPhone sales, iPad sales, Mac sales. But they don't provide us a total number of how many gadgets were sold. How many products that were powered by Apple software were sold. So what I did was took a closer look at my earnings model and came up with what I think are the most reasonable estimates for how many Apple gadgets are sold per year. So just to be clear, this number is including iPhones, iPads, Macs, Apple Watches, wireless AirPods, iPods, Apple Pencils, Beats headphones, Apple TVs. It's every major category and pretty much every accessory that's powered by Apple software or that can be viewed as a genuine Apple accessory. In 2017 fiscal year, Apple sold 322 million gadgets. That's 7% more than the number of gadgets that Apple shipped in 2016. I have all of the numbers over at AboveAvalon.com. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can take a look at how many gadgets Apple sold per year going all the way back to 1997 when Apple only sold 3 million gadgets. So in the span of 20 years, Apple went from 3 million gadgets sold per year to 322 million gadgets sold per year. I would say that's having pretty good hardware scale. If we then include all of these additional accessories like Apple Watch bands, iPhone and iPad cases and covers, all of these charging cords and cables, basically things that you wouldn't assume are either powered by Apple software or just simply aren't powered by Apple software, add up all those products and Apple clearly sold well past 400 million items in fiscal year 2017. What do these numbers tell us? Well, I think there's two things. The first thing is they demonstrate Apple's success at selling mass market items. These are big numbers. But the second thing is that they illustrate the ability of Apple's supply chain and manufacturing apparatus to produce hardware at scale. There aren't too many companies operating at this kind of scale. Look at Samsung. Now, while they don't disclose smartphone sales, industry estimates 
pegged the company at selling somewhere around 300 million smartphones per year. And that includes a wide range of models. Okay, I would say that that's having hardware scale, and that's what Samsung is known for. Their strength is hardware. Every other smartphone manufacturer that's out there, they're selling fewer smartphones than Apple. The world's largest PC makers, other consumer electronics companies, wearables companies, they just don't have the sales required to come close to matching Apple in terms of hardware sales. So Apple is really up there in terms of their ability to make products, to oversee the process of all of these suppliers, manufacturers, assemblers coming together to produce literally hundreds of millions of gadgets per year. Looking ahead, I think Apple's hardware scale is about to undergo significant changes. The upcoming wearables era will prove to be a game changer for Apple's hardware sales. It is not inconceivable for Apple to eventually ship a billion gadgets per year. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Wait a second. Didn't you just say Apple sold 322 million gadgets last year? So I think Apple is going to sell three times the number of gadgets. How is that possible? I think the wearables era is going to be very unique. The wearables era will likely be defined in terms of ecosystems consisting of different wearable devices. So an Apple product line, including Apple Watch, AirPods, Beats, Apple Glasses, combined with a user base of more than 1 billion people, I think it's going to lead to massive demand for hardware. And we are already starting to see the beginning stages of this impact Apple's manufacturing apparatus. According to my estimates, Apple sold nearly 30 million wearable devices in fiscal year 2017. That was up from just 10 million devices in fiscal year 2016. Now, there is a very big story there to tell. And that's one reason why I talk so much about wearables. It's a big deal for Apple. Nearly one out of 10 gadgets Apple sells is a wearable device. Looking ahead, I think it is possible. We will see Apple sell 50 million wearable devices in fiscal year 2018. How is Apple going to get there? Apple Watch, wireless AirPods. Both products are seeing remarkable momentum in the marketplace. When Apple reports first quarter 2018 sales, keep an eye on that other product's line item. You're going to have records for Apple Watch and, of course, for wireless AirPods. These products are connecting with mainstream users like nothing before. We, we haven't seen anything like this before. And what's so remarkable is very few people are seeing it. Just this morning, I read an article from a research firm that said, wearables demand isn't there. It's declining year over year. 
Well, that may be true for Fitbit. That may be true for other wearable companies like Fossil. It's not true for Apple. Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, and Apple's broader wearables platform, it's expanding. It's gaining mindshare. It's literally creating a market. We're seeing profit flow into wearables like never before. These are game changers. Both Apple Watch and wireless AirPods are products that contain the potential of one day selling in the hundreds of millions of units per year. And then, of course, we have AR glasses. I think it is inevitable that Apple will one day sell a pair of augmented reality glasses for the mass market. Unit sales, hundreds of millions per year. When trying to think of something that does a good job of demonstrating Apple's increasing bet on hardware and how far Apple has come with hardware just even in the past 10 years, my attention keeps going back to the September event at Steve Jobs Theater. I think that product event did a very good job at demonstrating the scope of Apple's hardware prowess. Apple unveiled a cellular Apple Watch and iPhone X, two products made possible only after years of intensive collaboration throughout Apple. It's why Apple talks so much about Apple Park and their desire to build a campus with collaboration in mind. It's fair to say the campus was designed for collaboration. Everything from the iPhone X's OLED display to the neural engine found inside the A11 Bionic chip, everything comes together to produce an experience that would be impossible to create by a company that was just focused on either software or hardware. The W2, the S2 chips found in Apple Watch Series 3, the ability to include cellular without having an extra thick Apple Watch or an Apple Watch that had horrific battery life, it's remarkable. It's still hard to believe that Apple is selling a cellular Apple Watch in 2017. After placing big bets on hardware for decades, Apple is now in a position where its hardware capabilities, they're opening doors for Apple software and services. If we go back to a quote from Alan Kay, tech industry pioneer, I'm sure some of you are very familiar with him, he said people who are really serious about software should make their own hardware. Apple is betting that his advice will remain relevant in the future. That's why I think Apple is doubling down on hardware in order to become the most powerful software provider in the wearables era. Now, while Apple's hardware bets are already providing the company a competitive advantage over peers, say, in terms of smartphones, tablets, wearables, 
the long-term implications of Apple's hardware strategy are still being underestimated. Apple is well-positioned to build the most formidable supply chain and manufacturing apparatus for wearables. It is difficult to think of another company that is positioned as well as Apple. Consider how Apple now finds itself making bets in terms of controlling the core components and products. The company is investigating new manufacturing techniques and processes. This is a lot more than just, well, we have the factories to produce a lot of gadgets. That's just the beginning. The things Apple is doing here with hardware is going to give the company advantage over peers that won't just be measured in years, but will be measured in decades. I don't think Apple has ever seen a scenario like this play itself out before. We are in uncharted territory. This discussion seems that much more unique when you consider one of the major themes in the technology world from 2017. Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, they've been very busy talking about a post-device era. The very idea of a device will fade away, according to these companies. Instead, we will have powerful voice assistants, cloud services powered by artificial intelligence. Those are the items that will ultimately gain power at the expense of hardware. Apple is betting on a very different future. Apple sees a world in which hardware gains power in our lives. Consider how Apple is moving to the point at which it will have near complete control over every major component powering its devices. So whether it is new displays, smarter cameras, custom silicon, hardware has a role to play in terms of pushing more intelligent software and services. Instead of tomorrow's winners being those companies controlling powerful software and services, the winners will be companies shipping hardware that can melt away and allow the user to interact with software with as few barriers as possible. That's why Apple is doubling down on hardware. That's going to do it for today's episode. With the holidays right around the corner, the next time we talk will be in 2018. So if you are taking some time off, going on vacation, enjoy it. For those of you who want to maybe catch up on previous Above Avalon episodes, I'll include a link in the show notes to the official archives. You could go back all the way to episode one. And enjoy. Well, this is the 115th episode. So there's a lot that you can listen to to catch up on the Above Avalon podcast. If you enjoy the type of analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would be interested in becoming an Above Avalon member and receiving my exclusive daily email all about Apple. We cover everything from strategy and business analysis, financial modeling, estimates, my perspective and observations on current news events, competitors, earnings. My objective of this email is very straightforward. 
It's to learn about Apple. It's to learn how Apple looks at the world. A daily email is a great medium for having this ongoing discussion about what is happening in the world of Apple. For more information on membership and to become a member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. I offer both monthly and annual memberships. The monthly is $10 per month, and the annual membership is $100 per year. After becoming a member, you then have access to the archive and also the Above Avalon team in Slack, so you get to chat with other Above Avalon members. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a short review or rating for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. In addition, thank you to those who spread the word of mouth each week and introduce the Above Avalon podcast to new people. It is very helpful, so thank you. 2017 has been a great year for Above Avalon. I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you, the Above Avalon podcast listener. I learned quite a bit about Apple from doing this podcast, and I was fortunate enough in 2017 to actually get to meet a few of you throughout the year in various events, so that was great. I want to also thank those who read AboveAvalon.com, and so you go through the weekly articles, see all of my research and analysis, which serves as the backbone to this podcast. And of course, I want to thank Above Avalon members. I'm very proud to say Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. That means a lot to me. So thank you for your continued support throughout the year. And I look forward to a fun and great 2018. With that, we will conclude this episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.